We're going to be on the fifth commandment tonight. I want to encourage you, if you have been, uh, if you've missed any of them, you could either hear it on the church app or you can hear it on YouTube or the podcast. And we've been going through all of the commandments and, and we're going to continue going through the rest of them just to kind of get a, an indication of what God is trying to tell us in our life and living as well as in our civilization. You know, the Ten Commandments are really ten words that were given to the people of Israel that transcend Israel, that, that, that go into all of communities all across the nation, all across the world for all times. It's ten words that God chose to tell his people. In other words, when we read it, we read it as commands, but the Bible doesn't interpret it as commands. It just says it's the Decalogue, ten words. And I, I want you to understand as we've been talking about, I won't recap, but the commandments are meant to show us a standard that we cannot keep. It's really meant to discourage us so we can be encouraged through Christ. I want you to understand that. The commands came at a critical time in Israel's history. If you remember the story, they were just delivered from slavery by an array of majestic devastation to those that were trying to hold the people of Israel in bondage. God drowned an entire army in the Red Sea. There are some scientists that say, oh, the sea wasn't very deep. It was only about a couple of feet tall. Well, that's even more amazing because God drowned an entire army in only five feet of water, if that's the case. But even to this day, you can go into the Red Sea and with excavations and, and, and all these types of things. I've seen it uh, online and people have gone and documented. You can actually see the remains of chariot wheels and bones. So this is a historical fact. We also know that God initiated relationship with the children of Israel and then he gave them commands. In other words, he said, and this is what I want you to do. This is how you serve me. This is how you live and, and serve each other. And I want you to understand something as well, because as we go through these particular commandments, I want to give some insight every time on the history of Israel as far as how they became a civilization. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 11, listen what Moses says here. It says, for you are a people... Holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were fewest of all people, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your, swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Now, when we read verses like this, we it seems as if God is being mean once again. We look at those situations, and it's like he, he's saying, God will 
he, God's going to get in the people that hate him's face is what it's saying. But I like the part when it says that God just loves them because he loves them. You know, the same is applies to you and I. God has chosen us. He loves us because he loves us. With God, there is no ability for him to grow in love and there's no ability for him to deplete in his love for you because God is perfect. And God's love for you is perfect. Nothing in God, as far as God is concerned, is growing or depleting. So that means that God loves you perfectly. God loves you wholly. God is caring for you. He is nurturing you every single day of your life. Our hearts beat because God allows it to beat. Amen? And it never misses a beat. Think about that. In the economy of God, we also see that the guilty will not go unpunished. Hence the reason we reach out to those that do not know the gospel. Hence, hence the reason we are in Cuba. It is not to go and just hug their necks and, and give them things. It's, it's to go and try to rescue their soul, to be the mouthpiece for God Almighty, to redeem them out of slavery, just as Israel was taken out of slavery. We are in slavery to our own flesh. How many of you can see that operating every day? <laughs> but when Christ has broken the, the, the bondage of sin on our life. He has now given us the ability to listen to the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. We have been talking about how these relate, how these commands came out of relationship. And if you've been with us for the four, first four, you see how Christ perfectly fulfills these commandments. And this is why I chose to use the word lawful grace. It's a study of lawful grace. Just to recap. Lawful means being in harmony with the law, being law-abiding, recognized or sanctioned by law, recognized as acting and living by law. That's how God sees us as law keepers for those that are in Christ. And then the word grace, according to this definition, it means unmerited favor. It's the assistance to, given to humans for their regeneration. In other words, God has regened us and made us children of the Most High God. It's a state of sanctification that you and I get to enjoy all the days of our life. It's divine assistance. It's literally God giving approval, mercy, and pardon, and reprieve from eternal separation and damnation from, from where we belong. Do you, do you know that? The moral compass of the soul and conscious automatically aligns true north when these issues of commands come up. In other words, when it says thou shalt not kill, you automatically know that it is wrong. Nobody has to tell you that it is wrong to kill someone. The moral law puts into words what smites our conscience. In other words, it puts into words what we already feel bad about, if, especially if we're decent human beings. <laughs> Now, some people's consciences are so seared that they can't even see right from wrong. Now, throughout this series of studies, I pray that you have become more engaged with Christ during this time because you really begin to see the work that he carried out on our behalf. And we need to understand that no one can keep these commands perfectly. We need to understand that from the beginning. This is not an issue to try to discourage us. This is an issue to encourage us and have the light of Christ shining and makes it all the more valuable for us to know that, that there was a problem, right? We're not just saved to have a better life. We're saved from eternal separation. 
That is lost in gospel presentations today. God is not just coming around us to try to give our life an even better life. He is rescuing us from what we deserve. He is rescuing us from him, himself, for himself. That is a great, joyous thing in the kingdom of God. We talked about the first four commandments. In other words, it's the first tablet of the law. And these are the interactions with God, as well as the second tablet of the law is our interaction with our neighbor. This is a good time to recap this particular verse, Matthew 22, 35 through 40. One of them, an expert in religious law. In other words, this dude came up to Jesus and was like, hey, man, let me ask you a question. He was trying to be smart with him. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The fifth commandment, in a sense, is the foundational commandment in which the second tablet deals with loving our neighbor. If you read in Exodus chapter 20, verses 12, it says, verse 12, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's the verse for tonight. I want to look at it in the Amplified because this will give us a little bit more insight. It says, regard, treat with honor, do obedience and courtesy, your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God gives you. And let me start by saying this is more than just parenting. You know, it was, it was, it's really hard. If this was the, a hard one to put together. Because I'm dealing with parents, I'm dealing with kids, I'm dealing with me as a, a young adult, <laughs> yeah. you as young adults, and what I want, <laughs> what I want to do is as we present this information, I want you to see it as a prism, see it from the aspect of you as a parent, as you, from you as a as a as a, a kid, as a young adult, as a teenager, see it through all the optics in which the material is presented before you. This commandment branches off and launches us into the the, the all of authority in our lives. God puts us as parents the responsibility to ultimately raise them to know Him. He, he, and He has given us His Word. He has given us His principles. The Bible constantly brings up areas of obeying. In other words, it says, servants, obey your masters. That's in the regard of employee-employer relationship. First Peter 5, 5 says, younger men should be subject to elders. That's in the realm of, of church government. Romans 13, as well as the book of Titus, tells us that we should obey governing authorities. We see the Bible says in the Ephesians, husbands, I mean, wives submit to your husbands and husbands submit to the Lord. These are all principles that branch out from the doses of this commandment. Honoring your, honoring your mother and your father is the bedrock where we learn of loving our neighbor. I want you to see tonight that, that we love our parents, right? We should. We love our, those that are, that are, that God has placed over us, or at least we should 
love them and treat them accordingly. Mom and dads are supposed to teach their kids the fun- the fundamentals of being just a decent human being, right? They're supposed to teach their kids instructions about sharing, about loving, respect, and care, amen? Submission to authority and all the other qualities that make us a productive member of society. Kids learn at an early age about authority because God places them in the realm of the only authority that they would come to know at an early age. This is where they learn the inner workings of trust, of love, of boundaries, of behavior modification. This is where we learn about rewarding behavior and action consequence. Listen, they don't know why they don't obey. Right? They don't know why they don't want to eat their peas. (laughs) They could be tired, right? Dozing off. But because you tell them to go to bed, they say no. Right? (laughs) You tell them not to touch something and instinctively their, their eyes are focused on what you told them not to touch. Why? Because in their rebellious sin-filled nature that you and I still struggle with, it's unbridled and they are ready for action. And if it's not controlled, this tiny flame will burn the house down. You know how I know that? Because I'm an only child. (laughs) And I have an only child. (laughs) Simply stated, it's the automatic bent to self on the throne and rebellion and kicking against all authority. It's a heart issue and God uses parents as tools to rein that issue in. Amen. All these types of things will for the rest of their life be tested and tried through being a child to going to school to trying to function in the, in the world. Right? They learn how to respect their elders by interacting with Mama and Papa. Right? And Noki Fas and Tong Chun. I learned at a young age not to go into my grandmother's icebox, which I still do not go in to this day, unless there is fruit salad available. My mom would always tell me, don't, don't go into the, somebody's refrigerator. Even when my granny today says, you want something to eat, to drink, shy? I say, no, granny. Maybe I'm just warped now <laughs> because it was such stressed. But there is a structure that is embedded early on and it's helped to, it's there to help us function in life. Satan has been at war with the family ever since our first parents of Adam and Eve, which resulted in Cain killing Abel, which leaked into Abraham and his children and grandchildren. Joseph was sold into slavery because Jacob favored him over the rest of them. Down to David and his kids, who had that royal brat Absalom that tried to kill his own father. Make no mistake, the upbringing that you and I face has a lot to do with where we are today. And there are cases when parents are not in the home. And thank God for the people that have stepped up. Amen. Like grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles and stepdads and stepmoms in the glorious task of child rearing. (laughs) The point is it may not always look perfect. 
But God always makes a way. Amen. He brings men of God around you. He brings people, women of God around you. Remember, Joseph was there as Jesus' stepdad to show him the inner workings of being a man. My point is, there's a lot of weight and value that comes with parenting. Let's look at the Old Testament example of how important child rearing was. It literally was a life or death issue. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. In such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. I'm, not, I'm like, go. <laughs> brother was pretty bad off. Then all the men of his town must stone him to death. You will purge this evil from among you, and all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. Now, don't run off. <laughs> because like I said, if we keep talking about these issues that we see in the Bible, and it seems so so like God is out of control. It is, he is not out of control. God is perfect. He is holy, right? This is to show us things. Now, obviously in the Old Testament, it was called for at that time. And if this was the case today, I would have been stoned at the age of 13 on the corner of Trotter and Donald in New Iberia. And understandably, this may seem like an, like a harsh stance with God. But just like the prison system is there to show an example of why we should not go off the deep end and do whatever it is that we think we want to do, I want you to broaden your scope, back up the view in Scripture, and see that God himself did not spare his own child while we should have been in the pit stoned to death. So God literally put his money where his mouth was. Once again, we see in the New Testament, the story of the prodigal son. The story, it goes as the prodigal son said, Dad, I'm done with your stuffy rules. I'm out of here. He left. He went live it up. He was in the pig pen. He had totally destroyed his life. And his dad at that time would have basically ran a village. And he would have been the most powerful person in that village. And everything about Middle Eastern culture is about honor and respect. And if that boy would have come home, he would have instantly been subjected to a life of repaying the father for the honor of the father. But that is not what happened. The Bible says that the father lifted up his robe and ran, which was shame. He brought shame upon himself because Middle Eastern men were not supposed to run. And this man would have ran to the gate and took all the abuse from the people and, and shielded his son saying, I do not want my son to face this crowd of people, so I'm going to take the shame. And, and in a sense, the father was more shameful than even the son. And he took all that shame upon himself and gave him the robe and gave him the ring and gave him the sandals. That is a picture of what Christ has done for us. He took all of the shame, all of our sin upon himself, everything that was due us, he took it upon himself. So let's not think that God is harsh in Old Testament examples of New Testament grace. Amen? Now, how does the fifth commandment look today? I want to give you quickly four things and some life application. <laughs> let's look back at Exodus 20, verse 12. Regard, treat with honor, 
do obedience and courtesy, your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord gives you. Honor means weight or glory. How many of you know it's a weighty thing to raise a kid? <laughs> if you're a parent, you should be jumping up and down. Or some of you might have had little angels. At the same time, us as children, we need to see that it is an honorable thing for a parent to raise us. Now, I know for some it's been easier because parents have carried that position in an honorable way. But for those that have had parents that have not acted honorably, it's still needed, even though it may be difficult. Now, parents, it's our responsibility to act honorably and not create a stumbling block for our kids because we represent God to them. We represent the only authority that they know. Growing up, rebellion is naturally bound up inside of a kid. All you have to do, once again, is take one rattle and put two kids in a playpen, and you will see them fight to the death unless you stop them. But at the same time, the parent should want what's best for the kid, right? We should want them to make wise decisions. You know, I want to give you just a quick nugget here. You know, I've been been seeing all this people age on Facebook all of a sudden. I know you've seen that. But my advice that I live by, especially since I lost my dad, stay reflectful in the present. Your parents will not be here forever. Always be thankful for their time. Be thankful for their wisdom. Be thankful for the sacrifice and actions. This is how you honor them. You stay reflectful. Don't wait till you're looking down in a casket on them. When you pass by the ballpark, you might remember your dad coaching you and your mom taking score. Make it a habit to dwell on a memory at least once a week. Can you do that? Here's just some advice. One way you can honor them is call them. Visit them when you're thinking about them. I cannot believe people will only talk to their parents every so often, a month or so. Listen, this should not be. And listen, I'm not saying that with, you know, growing up that you didn't have a rough life and all that. I, I get all that. But it is up to us to be a process of healing. This is not in my notes, but you may need to hear this tonight. I just want you to understand that everything, I've, I've done funerals and I've seen regret on the faces of people. It's an awful bedfellow. All you have to do is swallow your pride and say, I'm sorry, mom. I'm sorry. That doesn't matter if they apologize. Step out in faith. Step out in faith and just honor God. Do it to honor God. Amen? You may come to know that nobody has your back like your parents or your guardian. Maybe as a kid, you never even stopped to look back at the prayers your parents prayed. 
the sacrifice they took. Nobody cried for you like your parents or your guardian has cried for you. No one has sacrificed like your parent or your grandparent or the person that God has placed over you. You probably don't even know what they fully sacrificed for you. Don't be one of those that don't know what you got till it's gone. Amen? When your parent or guardian passes, I'm telling you, there is no sobbing like I've seen on the front pew of a funeral home or a church. Number two, boundaries. Acts 5.29, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, we know that some can choose to abuse authority, and this principle really covers all authority. However, it really doesn't give you the right to be obnoxious, outright, and rebellious, right? I look at it as more of a quiet submission to the Lord. When you think about it, if someone in authority tries to command you to do something that you shouldn't, there's no need to throw a temper tantrum. Just quietly say, I hear what you're saying and do what the Lord wants you to do. In a sense, refer back to the first tablet. But even then, maybe hopefully, a sensible discussion can be had. Parents, we should show some restraint as our kids get older and not expect the same obedience that we do as, as when they were kids. You know how I know that? <laughs> As young adults, when we leave their house, we can still do our best to listen to their opinions and just trust that they're giving us an opinion from a right spot, right? And parents, we can't assign them and take their cell phone away when they're in their 20s and put them in the room that is now a storage shed in your house. You know how I know that? <laughs> At some point, there needs to be a healthy shift from ch parenting them as a child to consulting and coaching. Amen. When Dylan was 12, I don't parent him and Shannon don't parent him the same way now that he's 24. <laughs> Dylan would say amen. But we have to understand that the groundwork hopefully has been laid where we now have that ability to speak into their lives into their lives, as well as as parents, we should be open to receive criticism, right? I'm not saying outright obnoxious rebellion, but we should give our kids the ability to say, this is what I think in this situation. This is how I think you spoke to me that wasn't right. We only have them for a small amount of time in our household. How many of you would agree with that? We could give them advice and, and use it as a sounding board as we tell them things. And they could do the same with us. Now, I know that there are exceptions to parents. Some parents may be jealous of their kid and they're just hoping the kid goes in the ditch for some strange, ungodly reason. That's a lot of insecurity and dysfunction. But I'm not going to spend the time talking about this because I want to keep it in a positive note. There's inner healing for those other types of issues that you can go to in counseling. Because ultimately, we have to learn that some of us grew up hard. I mean, I can tell you from my dad, he grew up with Papa. And all Papa says, you got to work. You got to go to work. Quit all that crying. Quit all that. 
But as my dad got to the end of his life, he was able to look at, at, at my papa through the grace of God. And papa was just loving him the only way he knew how that was passed down from their grandparents. Right? We got some hard people that live in the South. <laughs> Number three, ownership to stewardship. I want to tell you two verses here. Psalms 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Psalms 127 verse 3. Children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Some translations say they're a gift from the Lord. In a sense, God gives us to be stewards of his creation. I'll give you an example. I remember distinctly being in a store with my mom and I was very young and there was this toy that was like a pickle with some arms and legs. And I remember throwing a fit. I remember, I, I, there's not a lot of memories in that regard, but I remember trying to think of as many mean things as my little five or six-year-old brain could come up with. And I just threw a fit in the store, and she brought me outside. She corrected me in the Lord. And with the thing that I didn't even understand is this little pickle toy did not even fit into my He-Man or Thundercat collection. So it was not even in the repertoire of the things that I like to play with. The problem was I wanted it because I wanted it. I was the king of my own heart. I don't know why I wanted it. I just didn't like being told I could not have it. Some of us probably still deal with that today. Amen. <laughs> but in a sense, it's a matter of stewarding their little hearts right? In a sense, we're trying to navigate them from king self to God and others. You and I know what that lifelong battle was like. Some of us are winning and some of us are losing. See, we're not dealing with bad behavior. We're dealing with what is fueling the bad behavior and it does not lose its steam with age. Amen. Question for you. How hard is it to deal with the issues of your own heart? Imagine a kid that is unbridled and will do whatever they can do to get what they want. See, in fact, I've heard it said that we should parent from going from owner to ambassador. And I think this is absolutely true. In other words, we think in our parenting, if we, if it's ownership, we're parented by how we want to shape little Jimmy or Johnny or Sarah. By what we want for our children and want from our children. Our children, first and foremost, belong to the Lord. Right? They don't belong to the state. Amen? They belong to God. And he has given us a time with them to raise them and give them God. We are ambassadors and disciple makers. And it's the, the most important job that you and I have is discipling these little ones in the investment that God has given us. See, we create these kids and we get more offended when they break our rules than God's rules. Right? And I, I know it's going to get quiet. I'm good with that. <laughs> My ears kind of bother me anyway. 
In other words, you shall have no other gods before me. We're more concerned about this than God's law. Let me ask you a question. How, when was the last time you got mad at your kid for breaking God's law or breaking your law? That's some ways that we can look at these things. You see, king self shows up in the parent and the kid, and it's a battle of the kingdoms, and it's a battle of the wills. Our rules sometimes are driven by our comfort, right? By our affirmation, by our control, by our reputation, or our success. We parent from the benefit of our kingdom, our needs, our wants. We put ourselves in the center of our own parenting. An example is, I like silence, so everybody shut up. Right? But instead, we want to teach them, be quiet, because you can't run around disturbing everybody. So you can be a, a good resident in society. Right? Or maybe you have such a clean house that they can't touch anything. And you parent them from the point of view of don't touch nothing, and that's how it's going to be. I want this to be in pristine shape. But instead, we're parenting from that point of view instead of teaching them how to be clean, right? So the, their wife or husband doesn't have to come and show them how to be clean. In other words, we feel like these are my kids, and I want to put in them what I want, and I want to take out of them what I want. And y'all don't even have to say amen for that. We parent from dysfunction. And then when boundaries are in place, as they get older, we're more offended because they didn't want to do it like we did it. Or didn't, they, they don't see it as we see it. And all that time, we could have just been stewarding them in the gospel for the kingdom to live beyond self and they, they, we don't get so offended. So when boundaries are set up, we say, hey, you know what? I understand that. Because we're not operating out of king's self, and we're not looking at what we created and what we invested in, and now they don't see it the way we do. That's just a little insight to tell you where our parenting may be needing to shift as an ambassador and as a whole, our, our, our point is to bring them to God, to bring them under the spout where God can speak and they can hear. Amen? Listen, we identify with their weakness because we know they're battling the same thing we battle. You know how many times I have to tell Dylan, Dylan, I totally understand why you did that. <laughs> you know how I know that? <laughs> but it still doesn't give us the ability to... Say, well, you can do that because I did it in the throng. It's an ability to show them insight to why they should not do that. You know, I'll just tell you, I always told Dylan, we had a great relationship as far as being honest. It was the same with my mom and dad. My dad always told me, just be honest and I won't punish you. I did that. Many times I would call my mom from the principal's office. I would shut the door and lock it and hurry up and call her and tell her, hey, you're about to get a call from Coach Phillips, the principal. And I just want to let you know, this is what happened. He may try to change it. I'm not sure. But just want you to know, this is the truth. And I've done the same with Dylan. <laughs> and I said, look, man, just tell me the truth. That's all I want is transparency and truth, right? You may say see it differently. That's fine. Number four, why honor? See, we give them the ability to try to figure some things out. Amen. But in doing that, it breeds trust, which leads to honor. 
Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother that this is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have long life on the earth. Simply put, it's right because God says it's right. Honoring them is praying for them, reaching out to them, loving them, and serving them. When my parents got saved, their devotion to Christ is what drew me out of my rebellious state. I saw them going to the Lord on my behalf. I heard them crying and and weeping before the Lord, praying for the salvation of my soul. Colossians 3.20, children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. So we see that it's right and it pleases the Lord, right? On the flip side, not honoring or disobeying does not please the Lord, right? I mean, it's kind of common sense. Once again, it's like marriage, right? When I do counseling, I always, you know, my relationship with Shannon, my, my wife is, you know, a lot of times I don't have to wait for her to apologize. I just need the Lord to forgive me. So I try to keep a posture of forgiveness, which she don't do a lot of stuff. I'm just saying a lot of times it's me. <laughs> okay, let's move on because I can see her getting red from the back. <laughs> but ultimately, if I Ask the Lord in in a situation, whether it's parenting, if I'm trying to keep, Lord, I forgive because I need forgiveness. It keeps me postured and your wife or your husband or your child benefits from you honoring the Lord is the point. We benefit from our interaction and our relationship with the Lord. There was a time when Jesus was separated in a caravan from his mom and dad, and he is in the temple. Remember that? And the Bible says that he was obedient. When they came to get him, he was obedient. He just says, I was in my father's house. Where were you? (laughs) And basically what what it says is that he was obedient and Mary treasured these things in her heart. Doesn't it please you when your kids listen to you? Now remember in Exodus, this command has a promise attached to it, which is also noted by Paul with long life. Now obviously... Back in the day, if you did not honor your parents, you were killed. So there's that. (laughs) But I know many who loved their parents and died in their 30s, died of cancer in their 60s, honored them. Some died in car wrecks at 20. So what does this mean? It means this phrase is literally to live an abundance of life. What it's saying is when you start out obeying your parents, You then navigate through life with the abilities to interact, the abilities to set you up for success in school and how to respond and how to take advice and how to build character through discipline. We are learning the tools of building our own family at this time through a godly example that is set before us. But the sad fact is that many come from broken homes that produce broken children who struggle through life, who struggle with dysfunction. And it breaks down 
their, their hearts over the long period of time. And it leads to abusive relationships. It, it, it leads to drug abuse to try to escape the pain and growing up from an overwhelming woundedness that begins to fester, right? It's not always the case, but history bears it out that the percentages are more higher. I can look at many in my own life of people that I know that, that even counseling our friends growing up that grew up in just horrific circumstances. And many of them died or died early or, or went through horrendous situations and are in jail to, to this day. Listen. If left to our own devices, we will always go the way of the flesh. We will always go the way of death and destruction. It is in us. We are born as children of Adam, born on sin street, going one specific way. And Christ comes in, changes our direction, and we go upstream. And it's the hardest walk, but it's the most rewarding walk. Amen? This is why parents and guardians have such a, a weighty responsibility. That's why it says the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. We know of Adolf Hitler. He did not have a good upbringing. Charles Manson just wanted his mom to hug him. And look at what he did. Look what Hitler did. Killed all of these Jewish people. A healed world will never happen unless there is healed human beings. And that healing comes from whole healing in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Um, ultimately, we know because I want to bring this down or really up to Christ. Ultimately, we know that Jesus honored his father with living perfect obedience. He honored his father with words of affirmation. And he honored scripture above all. In other words, he walked the scriptures out. He honored his father with time and prayer. He honored his father with constant obedience to his will. And in fact, he said, I came to only do the will of my father. He honored him with constant thanksgiving. And he carried out the perfect plan of redemption for you and I who, listen, deserve to be in the pit and stoned to death. It's true. Christ honored his mother while he was being dishonored on the cross. Remember that? He's dying and bleeding, and he looks at John, and he says, Hey, John, take care of mom. In his last dying breaths, he looked after his mother, honoring his mother while he was being dishonored. Now, can we stand? I just want to give you some life application as we wrap this up. And it's very, very quick life application. How can we properly live this out? Number one, this all goes back to Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor them. Honor them with words like, yes, ma'am. It's simple. Yes, sir. Honor them with time. Spend time with them as often as you can. Honor them with appreciation. Show them that they are appreciated. Amen? Honor them with assistance. Help them in their time of need. And listen, if they have already passed on, honor their memory with stories and pass it down to your kids. 
Number two, obey them when it lines up with Scripture. Now, I'm not talking about a five-year-old that can twist the Bible to their parents. <laughs> or when, you, you, when you're arguing with a policeman or something like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about as parents, we can work on our boundaries with our kids, right? In other words, we can give them advice and don't get mad if they don't take it. We're giving them advice. And as, as kids, we can see that they're giving us advice out of the kindness of their heart. And they're trying to lead us in the right direction and listen to their advice. And in the end, if you choose not to take it, respectfully, just don't take it. Do what you feel you need to do. But you still, you and I still are to be obedient, at least with the respect aspect. Amen. Number three, be courteous or thoughtful. Text. I mean, I got FaceTime now. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Make efforts. If you had a mom or dad that passed away and the other one is still living during their anniversary, spend time with them. During that, the, the, the person that has passed on with their birthday or whatever, spend time with them. Amen. And number four, show thankfulness. Amen. Heap thankfulness on them. Now's the time to thank them. Keep an attitude of being reflectful of what they did in your life. Now, I just want to pray with you. We, we are all, most of us are parents. Some of us are kids. We all have work to do. We've all blown it. We've all did good some areas, right? Let me see if you've had your hand perf if you've had it perfectly. <laughs> Now, I didn't think anybody would raise their hand. That's a sure end for just. But let's ask the Lord to forgive us, right? Lord, we just come right now in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, and we repent as parents, as young adults, as kids, Lord. If we have act, acted in rebellion or dishonorable, Lord, may we messed up in parenting. We, we parented through our own dysfunction. Lord, we just bring that before you as our perfect father. And God, we just thank you for the grace that we are supplied in Christ. Lord, to, to, to move away from those situations. Lord, I pray right now that if those that are here need to repent and need to ask the parent or a kid to forgive them, to maybe they need to say, I'm sorry to heal some areas. Lord, I'm asking that you would give them the grace and give them the ability and the power that they need to carry that out, God. And Lord, I'm asking that in this room, lives would change, that relationships would change and be restored under the power of Jesus Christ's ability in that situation. Lord, we just thank you right now that if there are any that are here that may not know you as Father, Lord, that we would take the time to repent of our sin, to ask you to forgive us, Lord, to cleanse us from our hearts, God, that are trying to rule and reign in their own agenda, God. I'm asking right now that that rebellion would cease and we would come under the submission of Jesus Christ and the grace and power of living the abundant life would flood our hearts as we repent. Father, we put our faith and our trust in your abilities to forgive, God. And we thank you right now that we are repenting and we are children of the Most High God. Now, God, I ask as each person goes out their separate ways 
God, that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would equip them to do everything that you've called them to do. And God, for those that have prayed that prayer for the first time, I ask, Lord, that, Lord God, that you would invade them with your presence, with your power, and with your grace to live out the gospel in their own lives. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And the church said, amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, God. Well, listen, if you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. We'd love to pray with you. Good night.